It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm joined right now by a reporter for MTV News. He is the host of MTV's True Crime Week, which starts next week on Tuesday at 10 p.m. He's here to talk about MTV True Life Crime. Damati Pongo, thank you so much for being here this morning. I'm good. How are you? Great to be here. No, I'm thrilled to talk to you. I'm so glad that MTV True Life Crime was renewed for a second season. This is extremely exciting. Um, I am a I'm a huge true crime fan. Like, I'm just I'm one of those people like I always have been. I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't explain it. I kept it to myself for a really long time. And then the Internet came along and it was like, oh, there's millions of me. We're all messed up. Um, But there's one thing about true crime that really bothers me. And that is like the unbearable whiteness of the true crime space. <laughs> I feel like every every true crime thing that I engage with, it's like we're talking about white victims. We're often talking about white perpetrators. We're talking to white people and white communities. It's almost like that's where all of the crime is happening. And that is, of course, not the case. So, like, did you have that in mind when you decided to make this series that there was there was a like, clearly this is a a popular genre, but there is something massive missing from it. Was that part of your calculation? You know what? I love that question so much because it's kind of funny. It wasn't a part of my calculation. But it was something I noticed when I started to look at what the format could look like, right? Because you know how much representation matters. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when I, when I saw that, that MTV was doing this show and, you know, when I was supposed to do it when it came to season one, um, last year I was looking at, okay, well, who else is in the space? And I didn't see anybody in the space who looked like me. And I knew that MTV wanted mm-hmm. to look at the, the stories through a social justice lens and look at the world around the victim. And it just so happened that once you began to peel back the layers, you found you, you started to see this gaping, this big gap in how different communities were represented, but also how problems were approached. Because I think while we're drawn to true crime is we wonder how can people do these things? And we often answer that question right. by saying, oh, this person is just sadistic. But when you look at the world around the victim, a lot, a lot of times it's a lot more complex than that. And I think the most fun that I've had, fun feels like the, a strange word in the true crime space, but <laughs> the most <laughs> interesting part about, about this we'll allow is it. being able to peel back those layers. Yeah, absolutely. I, it, it feels like we, I don't want true crime to be salacious, right? Like, I think that I think that a lot of women are drawn to it because we grow up with, you know, stories of men waiting in bushes and in the back seats of our cars and all over the, you know, we, we learn to carry the keys in our in between our fingers, which doesn't work, by the way. The keys are just going to bend down. Anyway, point is, we're taught at a very young age that we need to be constantly on guard for things like this to happen. And I think that's what draws people to the genre to begin with. You sort of do a, well, what would I do in this situation? And well, and all that does is highlight the crime itself. It it doesn't Mm -hmm. talk about the circumstances that the crime took place during or why police might not have intervened before this crime happened. Like you miss all of the context when you, you focus just on the act. 
Um, and I think it's really important that you're bringing you're bringing a more 360 view to to this space. And, How and did you choose the stories? Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're you're hitting on something just as like, and even why this victim, right? We have a case involving. Um, you know, uh, a serial killer who had murdered multiple women in Ohio. And then we started to see this thread, this common thread among victims. They tend to deal with substance misuse. They tend to, some of them had um, mental health disorders or some sort of mental incapacities. And they all frequented a community center within the area where there was this creep that used to wait around and try to find these vulnerable women in moments where he could attack. You know, he'd wait for someone's car to break down who had dealt with substance misuse, who he had a feeling might be more susceptible to a, a, an abusive relationship. And I think in a lot of true crime shows, that would be the hook, and then we'd go down the story. Well, it's like, well, wait a minute. What, what happened? Why are these people in a situation where they have to go to the community center? Wait, why? Why? Are people with right. mental health, uh, you know, me mental uh, health conditions, why do they become the targets of, of these different kind of predators and what can we do better to protect them? And I think when we, you know, to get to your question, why we end up choosing the cases and how we look at the cases, we look for the elements of what makes a true crime show, right? You know, it's the mystery, cases that are shrouded in mystery, cases involving young people because that's who talks with MCD. But then we also see, well, what could we learn and take this away from this aside from the fact that it satiates our desire to see a compelling story. Like, how can we use this story to go in our respective communities and try to make society a little bit better than it was before we got there? And, and, and I hope we strike that balance. Well, I think that's that's ultimately, I think, what, what good true crime is trying to do is to make society yeah. a little bit better. And it's by making by making people vigilant and not just vigilant against guys in the bushes and in the back seat, but like vigilant against the conditions under which these things occur and, and the conditions that allow people to be victimized in this way. I like Samuel Little is the, the name that makes me want to burn all of the true crime genre down <laughs> because we all know the name Ted Bundy. Like we all know the son of Sam. We all know the serial. We know the Green River Killer. We know all the serial killers. Samuel Little killed more women than these guys combined. But we Almost do not know 100. that name because the women he killed were largely black and Hispanic and they were sex workers for the most part. And so we don't we don't tell that story, even though it is ostensibly a, a better, quote unquote, true crime story than the Ted Bundy story. But Ted Bundy was co-ed. So we tell that story over and over and over and over and over again. And we leave Samuel Little sort of in the margins. Like, how does that genre perpetuate? itself when it doesn't look past the same like young blonde victim mentality like ha like it, it can't grow yeah. unless it starts looking beyond those those walls are you working with people who have been in this space for a while or are you sort of inventing your own new your own new way <laughs> great. no great question we're working with people who've been in this space and if you look at the promo there's a, there's a promo area right now uh, for True Crime Week, you know, airs Tuesday, mm -hmm. July 13th. In the promo airing, there's a clip at the end where I say, people ask me why I care. I want to know why you don't care. And that, that answer was in response to a question from an experienced true crime producer who was asking, okay, a lot of true crime stories, we have the American Pie blonde white girl. She was innocent. She was the 
the prom queen she and then everything shattered down right with this story we have women who were addicted to heroin who had been in abusive relationships were in and out of confrontations with police why should people care about these women and what he was trying to do was get me to point out how offensive the question itself is and how pervasive <laughs> these narratives are within the genre and like my my anger was like, you want to ask why I care? I want to know why you don't care. Like, what what is what is this identity thing? What is this this pristine image of, of this? You know, it's so much to unpack, even with the misogyny within the question of how we look at what victims are worthy of telling their stories. And that's what that's what kind of drove me to to tell these stories. Because when I sat down and looked at, okay, well, let me look at who's done it well. Let me look at different hosts in the genre. I didn't see anybody under forty. I didn't see. I saw very few women. And I saw no black men and I saw mm-hmm. no black people, period, in the space as far as like a yep. big network show. And that was, it was really frustrating to me. And when you look at cases like the one with Samuel Little and you look at the Ted Bundys, often even how the story around Ted Bundy is framed, he was the handsome guy. No one ever thought. It almost speaks to even right. what you talk so about. charismatic. With, uh, exactly. Even what you talk about, the, the storming of the Capitol, this Benefit of the doubt we tend to give to white people where we don't, oh, that's just one racist in the crowd. This isn't a pervasive issue among multiple people of this identity. Same with these killers. We're like, oh, this is a handsome guy, and he's white, and he's male. He can't be he's your neighbor. He can't be a serial killer. And so with this show, we want to upend <laughs> all of those expectations, both of the, you know, the perpetrators and the victims. Yeah, I mean, I think the the way that you're sort of expanding the definition of 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 victim that we allow uh, or that we care about is is so important, and it's not just in the true crime genre. Like we've we've started to see the idea that if somebody somebody is only worthy of being a victim if they have never done anything wrong in their entire life, if they were a child, if they were, we see that playing out when we talk about police violence. Like we've come a very long way in the few years since, I mean, I remember that New York Times article right after Michael Brown's death that where the lead was Michael Brown was no angel. And it, and it, it, it caused this enormous outcry as it should have, because it's sort of, it exposed this idea that we we expect we white American society expect that our that the victims that we classify as victims will fall into certain categories and they will not have made mistakes and they will not have done anything that we wouldn't want our own children to do. And they will have made all of the decisions that we ourselves would make. And if anything is deviated from that, then we don't classify them as victims in the same way. There's been a real change in that, especially in the police violence yeah. issue where we we understand that you should not lose your life, even if you've destroyed property, even if you were high, even if you were having a mental health episode like you don't have to be the prom queen in order to be deserving of of not having a violent end. And I think the fact that it took longer to get that into the true crime genre than it did into the police violence beat is really telling. Very much so. And what's so interesting, we even have a case where we dig into, (laughs) this is the first time I've ever done something like this. We dig into a case where a police officer killed a young black man. And we look at it the same way we would look at any other true crime case. And the case you might remember was of Darian Hunt, who was a man in Utah who was cosplaying as his favorite anime character and was carrying a samurai sword when he was gunned down by police. Surveillance video shows him running away from police when he was shot. And even though he has his samurai sword, 
Utah's an open carry state. So you can literally walk down the street with a, a, a Glock <laughs> open and out, and you right. would be fine. Why would someone with a Samurai Sword team, you know, as, as a threat? And then you dig into who he was. I bring him up because not only did we use, you know, a police-involved shooting as a true crime case, but then we look at, okay, let's, let's concede the point. Let's say that it has to be someone who is the most harmless, perfect victim. This kid was an anime nerd. You know, he would call himself, yeah. you know, we, even if we follow down that logic, we go down that path. If you still look at yourself and say, well, he shouldn't have, well, what if he, then you have to do some self-reflection, just like you're pointing out. And I think that what we find is we want to find ways to absolve these systems that we have been brought up to believe in and trust of all accountability. And then once you, you dig into it, you, you, you'll find that subconsciously, even ourselves, I think the biggest you know, pain that a lot of black Americans feel is that moment when you realize that the institution that you believed in as a black person, despite all that your, your ancestors had been through, despite everything that you read and been told, a part of you still wants to believe, you know, in, in this, this American equity that we never really see materialize. And then you look at the perfect case scenario, and there's still going to be some discrimination and inequality there. And, and we, we highlighted it in uh, what's going to be the season finale. I, I can't wait to watch this season. So I, I, I'm thinking, thinking historically, as we have been talking about the Nicole Hannah Jones situation at UNC going to mm-hmm. Howard and journalism and investigative journalism. I don't understand why Ida B. Wells isn't heralded as like the godmother of the true crime genre. Like she became a famous journalist by covering lynchings which nobody else was covering. And like, that's that this is my favorite part of the true crime genre is that they tend to focus on stories that no one is solving. And it, it, it allows for people to feel like, wait, maybe I have a role to play in stopping this kind of thing from happening or in figuring out who done it. Like all of the people going through the rioter or the, the insurrectionist photos and, and, you know, identifying their uncles and their ex-boyfriends and calling the FBI and being like, yes, this is a person, get him. Um, It is about highlighting stories that for one reason or another, law enforcement hasn't been able to do. And Ida B. Wells did that like way early when she when she did her uh, amazing expose of lynchings that were happening. So it feels like those are those are the stories that are most applicable to the genre, because those are the victims who tend to get ignored by law enforcement. And if that's the most fun, fun part of true crime is figuring out how you can solve the stuff that the cops couldn't. Um, it does seem like that's just where we ought to put our focus from now on in this genre. I'm getting chills hearing you make this connection, the through line between the Ida B. <laughs> Wells work and identifying the lynchers all the way through true crime, because we know her as a pioneer, at least, you know, those, those who are awake to live of investigative reporting. And, and it makes me, it begs the question, what is it that happens when people of color are involved and are, are trying to figure out, you know, who did these crimes? Why is that? seen as a separate category of social justice work and true crime is its own genre. And I think that because that happens because, you know, American television has this idea that if it is about people who are not within the majority, that is a, that's other. And it won't be of interest to the majority because it's other, even though, you know, if you grew up as a person of color, if you grew up in any marginalized group, if you grew up LGBTQ, I never saw your relationships reflected on screen. It didn't mean you did not like the Titanic. 
you know what I mean? Like because it was a heterosexual couple, right. <laughs> or if you were if you were black, you know, I'm, I grew up black and I love Seinfeld. Like I never saw a black person on Seinfeld. Like it just so the idea that when black content comes out or something senses marginalized people that oh it's not it's not for not for the general public. This won't work. I think that this show hopefully is upending that. And I know for a fact that even first season, we we did so much better, performed so much better than, you know, we thought we would. Not because the network didn't believe in these stories and believe in yeah. these ideas. They absolutely did. Lily knew my uh, EP, uh, executive VP of uh, create uh, content. She loved it. But there's also no precedent in some ways for this type of storytelling in this type of way for these diverse communities. And we also touch on cases involving white folks, LGBTQ folks. There's a, a, a well-to-do family whose death of uh, their daughter was, was shrouded in mystery, and yet still they couldn't get justice. Her name is Lauren A.G. Her episode comes on July 14th. So you do get that breadth of, uh, of content and, and that diversity of stories. But we really want to, as, as you said, that's beginning to happen. And as so many other journalists are doing well in whose footsteps I follow, like Nicole Hannah-Jones, really show that these stories are American stories and not just Afro-American stories. Yes, yes. And there, there are stories about American systems. Uh, whenever you have one of these stories, the system has failed the victim in a number of ways. The system has probably also failed the perpetrator in a number of ways. Like this is, yeah. the, it, it's not just an indictment on the person who did the crime. It is an indictment on all of the reasons why, you know, somebody else fell through the cracks. And I think maybe that's why people right. get uncomfortable. They want, it's really easy when we can just hate on Jeffrey Dahmer. Like that, you know, <laughs> I, I don't see myself in Jeffrey Dahmer. I don't have anything to do with that. Like that's not something that I can possibly be responsible for. But when we start to broaden our viewpoint, it, it feels a little bit more like, oh, we're talking about the criminal justice system. Oh, we're talking about law enforcement. Oh, we're talking about the way we treat substance abuse and mental health issues. We're, we're talking about uh, America. This is just investigative journalism about America. Yeah. And, and I've got to tell you, it's not an easy balance to strike either when you're talking about, you know, trying to models for how a certain genre should be done. You know, you know, the true crime format. Well, you know, I you mm -hmm. know, build empathy for the victim. Red herring, we think this person did it, but they didn't. Misdirection, couple of mysteries, and then we wrap it up in a nice little bow. So it's like, where does this larger conversation about context fit within the story? And then once it fits in the, to the story, does it, does it distract from the mystery of the story that we're telling? And it's, it's all a work in progress. And I think that we're getting into a place where what – feels like the work of, you know, unlearning some of the things that we thought we knew about, you know, racism, about equity in our country, learning that that process does not have to be um, a, a laborious process necessarily or something that feels like homework. It too can be entertaining. It can be edutainment. You know, it can be educating, it can be entertaining, yep. and it can also make you think without pointing the finger at you and saying that you personally just, you did it. It's like, no, we're all complicit in a system. We need to know where we, how we fit into that system. And I think that um, what I, why Maya signaled me so much is that, you know, you have a way of looking at these things that doesn't feel like you're, that, that both feels like accountability, you know, just by being born in whatever station we're born in, but then also <laughs> not looking at it as, wait a minute, an indictment on an American system is not an indictment on you as a human being or you as an American. And I think that a lot of people make that no. leap and it makes them hard to take in some of this content, you know, I've talked to my, 
when, I, when I'm tweeting back and forth with folks and I, and I do a story on the show like uh, MTV News Need to Know, my, my daily news analysis story uh, show, uh, the comments make it feel like people think that I'm talking about them. And I'm like, no, I'm talking about insurrectionists at the Capitol. Like, <laughs> you weren't there, sir. No, uh, it's it, it's not an indictment on you. It's it's a what once you hear the indictment of the system, it's not an indictment of you. It's a call to arms to help fix the system. So so True Crime Week starts next week. Second season of True Life Crime starts on Tuesday at 10 p.m. I will be watching. I hope all of you will too. Um Domiti, thank you so much for for hosting this show and also being on here this morning. Man, thank you for this conversation. I'm riled up early in the morning. And if you guys are jazzed <laughs> As we are, you can binge watch the first season on mcd.com. And, and just thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Anytime. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.